Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to With Tamara Gondor. That is me. But as all of you know, the great thing about this podcast is it's actually not about me. It's about all these amazing everyday innovators from across the globe that I get to interview. People who are out there shaking things up, doing things differently, finding different ways around and under and through that brick wall. And what's interesting is if you go and look at the podcast page on my website, or really if you looked on any of your players, you'll see that we interview not just people with different experiences and backgrounds and geographies, but also different everyday innovator styles. So if you're out there and you're thinking, hey, I want to know what my style is, well, simple, go to our website, go to launchstreet.com and you can find out. So G-O-T-O, launchstreet.com, all one word. The assessment is there for you. It's based on neuroscience, proprietary algorithm, behavioral psychology, et cetera. But what's cool about it is it's for all of us everyday people to understand how we can be stronger problem solvers, critical thinkers, decision makers, how we can differentiate ourselves from the noise. So go out there and check it out. Now, speaking of everyday innovator styles, today's everyday innovator, Thor, is an inquisitive tweaker. So here's what that means. The inquisitive is all about digging deep, challenging assumptions. For inquisitives, innovations in the questions, not the answers. And you know them because it could be 11.30 a.m. and everybody's hungry and the meeting's over and you're closing your notebook and they're like, we have 10 more questions. But that's because that's them innovating and thinking and kind of digging and challenging. So a lot of us play on the surface. Inquisitives tend to go deep. And then the tweaker side is all about optimizing and editing and evolving. For tweakers, things tend to not be final quickly. It tends to be not about success and failure, but like what's that one little adjustment that can make all the difference? So the beauty in that combination, inquisitive and tweaker, is it brings deep, optimized innovation and value to the table. So I want you, as Thor's talking, as I'm interviewing him, I want you to really think about how he approaches problems and solutions and opportunities and challenges, all of it, his wins, um, which we're going to dig into today because you'll see nuggets of how he leverages that. So with all of that, Thor, welcome to the show. Tell the world who you are, what you do. Thank you so much, Tamara. I really appreciate that. And it's amazing to get to know oneself the way <laughs> I was able to through, uh, through, your, through your help. Now, so my name is Thor Lefloujan. I'm, I'm the co-founder and, uh, and CEO of a company called Stravito. So Stravito was a company founded uh, in Sweden in 2017 uh, by uh, market research technology entrepreneurs. So I have a background within technology and, and my co-founders have a, have a background within market research. So um, very brief about us, we, we now have presence in Europe and North America, we're approaching 70 employees, uh, but we have 25 and more nationalities on the team. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, what is it that we do? Um, Storito offers a service, which is a product, it's an AI-powered enterprise insights platform that allows employees at global organizations, we focus mainly on Fortune 2000 type size companies, to search and discover consumer insights in seconds, no matter where they are in the world. Um, so yeah, no, what we do is really help those companies uh, use more research to better decisions, make better decisions, and um, 
try to really deliver a, what I would call a consumer-like experience in the enterprise. So, you know, I have to tell you what's fascinating about what you do. And when your name came across my desk and I kind of did some research and I looked like you up and the company up, I was fascinated because, so my background is in innovation and brand strategy. Like I spent 25 years putting products on the shelves for companies doing consumer insights work. And I was always, um, I loved it, right? Right? It's like my favorite thing is finding those nuggets of insights in the, in the consumer, bringing those to the decision-making right inside an organization. But, but we were always very confined by budget, geography, and time because we could only talk to 30 people at a time, right? 50 people at a time if we wanted to move quickly. And what you're doing, if I hear you right, really is disrupting this kind of very traditional market research model that's, that's really confined, really confined by like how many people you have, what markets you can go to, how many consumers you can recruit and talk to. I mean, is that fair to say? Because I love it. I'm, I'm super excited about it because I think those insights should be across the organization, not something that like me and the brand manager holds on to. I, I, absolutely. I mean, you're, point, you're putting your finger on some, some reality for many of these international companies. That information gets siloed and information does not get spread. We have the privilege of working with companies like Comcast, like Electrolux, like Carlsberg, like McDonald's. And what they all have in common is that, you know, they really need to be able to share information internally in a quick and an efficient way, to democratize insights, a quick and efficient way uh, to continue to grow, you know, because um, it's, um, it's a tough game out there. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, and then I, I, I will move on to my next question to you, but I just, I think it's so fascinating. The other thing that I'm intrigued by with, with what you're doing and the idea the business that you all created is that um, oftentimes one of the things that I struggled with in market research is I felt like we were solving yesterday's problems. So by the time we got to the consumer and said to them like, Hey, if we could make your morning routine better, right. You know, breakfast better, what would it be? By the time we asked them, it was too late. And then by the time we got that to the level of a new product into the market, it was definitely too late, right? So we were constantly solving yesterday's problems. And I think in today's changing world, we've got to solve, we've got to figure out what's happening now and push that into tomorrow because yesterday is just, it's, it's too far behind us. Absolutely. And that's even more true now than ever, right? I think if, if we take a look at the, accelerated rate, rate of change with, you know, Gen Z consumers, I think it's particularly true. So very yeah, much. Yeah. yeah, I love it. You're out there like actually on the pulse. Okay, so what's a recent win or something that you're proud of? Hmm. So um, I, I think something I'm very proud of, I, let me actually se separate that. So recent win and proud, uh, I, 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 can, I can separate them. A recent win was uh, I'm actually kind of proud of this too. We were in London last week and presented with Burberry. So Burberry is you know, an amazing fashion brand, a client of ours. And it was amazing to see how they were reinventing information sharing at like scale in a way that does not need to be boring. And they did it in a way, I mean, they really did so in, in a very inspiring way. Uh, of course, working with Stravito, leveraging our solution. And that made me incredibly proud, but it was also very inspiring. In terms of pride, um, if I would separate pride from recent win, I would say that um, what I'm the most proud of, if I take a look at Scrivito, is really the, the culture we've been able to build and the people we've been able to hire. So I think from my perspective, 
when you build an organization, uh, the, the biggest opportunity you have is really to find the right people because you kind of set the limit on the company you can build by the people you hire. And then doing at the same time, building a culture where people that great people, autonomous people thrive, uh, which is effectively um, forces you to you know, put out clear direction. What is it that you're going to accomplish over the long term? And then just let these great people loose so they can go out and do what they do best. Hey, can I ask you a question on that? I have a few questions for you, but I want to go back to something you just said, which I think is, is really important in leading teams of any size and like whether that's up or down or sideways on the ladder. Uh, and that is giving people the chance to contribute. I mean, I think as humans, that's what we want, right? We want to contribute. We want to add value. And you had said kind of like hiring these great people and essentially getting out of their way and letting them letting them do what they do best, right? Actually being leaders and be at whatever level of the job. And I was just having this conversation with a, a, a potential client of mine who said one of their biggest challenges is in a relatively large company is the presidents in everything, right? Like they can't get the leader leadership out of the weeds to let the people do their job. So I'm curious from your perspective, if I'm out there and I'm leading people, but maybe I might be micromanaging a little too much or worried about stepping back and losing my own value. How do you, how did you do that? How do you think about leading these more autonomous teams and allowing them that room to contribute? I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great question. It's an always, it's, it's always a balancing act, right? But I would say that at the end of the day, really, what you need to do is to make sure that um, you need to create an environment where people are allowed to put their horse blinders on, <laughs> which means that you need to put, create an environment where everybody knows where we are going, where, you know, because you will end up with uh, multiple teams that will be autonomous. Uh, and as long as they know where we are heading as an organization, they can truly focus on what they need to do and put the horse blinders on it and do so. And the right balance, I would say, is it's really a sense that you need to have as a leader. You know, when are you showing the way and or when are you standing in the way? You, you really need to make sure that you, once you have shown the way sufficiently, you need to step aside and not stand in the way. I love that. I just want to say it again for everybody out there listening. When do you show the way and when do you stand in the way? I think that is advice, whether you are a leader inside a Fortune 500 company or an entrepreneur or a parent. Like, I think it kind of applies to all of it. I love that. So, hey, for all of us out there, all of us everyday innovators, I think we should really take a little bit of stock of where are we showing and where are we standing in the way? That is great advice. Share a time with me of something, um, a time that you thought differently, did something innovative to help kind of break through, break through from the noise or kind of move forward. I think that maybe... What I will call out is something that I've heard from others. This is, you know, I've talked to uh, peers of mine, you know, other people that kind of run companies and then and in, in the same stage in which uh, we are. One thing that I think I might do slightly differently um, is in the recruiting process, and we talked about finding great people and you know inspiring them, etc. Is I think I'm we have a different approach to, well, at least I have a different approach to, to recruitment in the sense that I, I bring in something that is partially Swedish, which is like radical transparency. And I actually make a point of uh, leading with problems and challenges. So, so I'm, I'm effectively in the, in the process of you know, trying to get somebody to join the company. I will make sure to call out all the problems and all the challenges the organizations Fail and and I call it internally 
I call it bringing out the dirty laundry. <laughs> and I think, and I think I'm doing that because I don't think that you know any very smart individual, you know, high potential, highly ambitious people will believe a perfectly rosy picture. You know, so so I think it's out of respect for those people, but also I mean, for to some degree because of cultural heritage, it's something that has worked really well for me. You know, which is uh, being completely honest. Uh, and and I think that's slightly different uh, than what many people do and many hiring processes people have gone through. I think you know in hiring we almost treat treat it like a dating app, like you put or, or Instagram. It's better in the Instagram feed where you like put everything that's amazing about you, like you live in your best life. But companies do that too. Hey, I got a couple questions with you on that because I think this is really interesting in a lot of ways. So one is when you do this seems to me that that would set up people's expectations. I think oftentimes the the mistake in hiring is an expectation mistake of like the person comes in, it's not what you said it was, right? I can't remember the number of times I hear that, particularly in the US of like, they, they said they had a company of innovation, but nobody wants to hear anything, right? Like it's not what you say it is. Um, so I'm curious if that helps level set expectations. The second thing I'm curious about is I could envision in an interview, if I'm airing my dirty laundry, right, to the to the possible employee, that I'm looking for a type of response from them too. Like, are they excited about the problems? Are they scared? Or do they think about solutions? How, so number one is expectations. How does that set expectations? And number two is, what type of response or interaction do you then look for when you're over there like, here's the 10 things that we're struggling with? Mm. No, I, I think, I mean, to your point, right, I think it's it, it's exactly that, you know, I think it's really important to, um, I mean, people will discover reality within a week. So, 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 so why not tell them, you know, so, uh, and, 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 and I think that, so it's really about setting expectations, but it's also about building a relationship. And the relationship that I have with people on my team is part of a culture. If you want innovation, if you want inspiration, uh, then you kind of need trust. And if you and and if you don't lead with reality, uh, you know it's really hard to build a culture of trust. So it's uh, it's, it's I mean it's really interconnected, I would say. Uh, but it's um, but it's something that has worked out well for me. And and I mean I have two examples that come to mind. Two people on the leadership team that one told me, well, you were I really appreciate the fact that you were super crisp and honest with me about some of the company's challenges. Uh, and and this is something that the that person in question has come back. And said multiple times and been appreciative multiple times. And the other case is actually a bit um, uh, surprising. Is um, the there I got like it was it was almost um, how should I put it? There was um, almost a kind of a, a level of um, uh, surprise really that I would go out and be that honest and said, "Wow, well, well, this is this is unusual," you know. And but again, you know, in both cases, both cases that come to mind, it was very well received. Huh. I, I love it. I just I, I want all of us to be thinking about where we can be more transparent in our conversation. I think that applies for recruiting, but I also think it applies for like when you're starting a new project or a new initiative or you're doing a check-in on something. I think we're so afraid to pull back the curtain and talk about what's really happening and try to put a, a pretty picture on things. And, and I'm this is coming from someone who can be overly optimistic at times, right? Like I'm always like, well, what's the opportunity in this, right? But but I don't think you can even do that unless you know what's really going on. And I think you really nailed it talking about 
trust, right? That I think that's the foundation for all of it, really. And and it's something we've also gone on to do. You know, I mean, the theme of radical transparency again. I think it's something that is comes from the Swedish heritage, but it's something we've really tried to apply as much as possible within the organization. You know, which means that we are we have a level of you know transparency and multiple elements of the company that most people are not just not used to. You know, just as an example, we start Monday mornings with. Um, a management team update where we basically share, you know, this is what what's going to happen on the management team this week. That's highly unusual. And I think when the COVID crisis hit uh, the world, I think um, a lot of people were uncertain. And what we chose to do is uh, to, you know, use that opportunity to uh, leverage our culture of transparency and be very honest about how that affected the company. And even though there were a couple of things that were hard to share, you know, we still did it. And and again, it's really part of what culture do you want to build? You know, what type of organization do you do you want to work in? So for all of us out there leading teams of any kind, I would really encourage us to think about how transparent we're being in our conversations with our teams about like our workload, what the challenges are, what the wins are. I think because I think all of it goes into that. So I, I really like that angle. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. I'm going to flip it for a second. What's the challenge you faced and how have you overcome it? Oh, there, uh, there are so many challenges, right? So where, where do I start? But if I try and if I try and um, think about a big one, um, I uh, back in two thousand eight, 
um, you know, the, I was running, um, I was running my first startup. So I did something that, you know, will feel very much, um, uh, popular today, which I was doing social media for, for the metaverse. Uh, this was, this was 15 years ago. And, um, and I was in, in, in capital raising mode. This was in 2008. And, um, it was a, um, of course, when the financial crisis hit. Now, that was a very struggling thing, you know, to do. It was my first startup. Uh, we're doing a fundraise and you have the biggest financial crisis, you know, in, in, um, in over 50 years uh, that hit the world. So um, that forced me to really think differently, you know, as an entrepreneur. And I think that the skills that really helped me as an entrepreneur was really that, you know, we had, we had basically grown according to plan. Everything was going according to plan, which never happens, you know, in startup land. You right. Know? So, until... so, that we, so we were in a very good position until this happened. And we basically had to kind of reinvent, take a look at what is it that worked really well. And um, given the fact that we were not able to go into funding mode and, you know, get the capital, how could we benefit from the advantages we have without necessarily benefiting from the capital we would have expected? And that basically helped us pivot. And as we pivoted, that eventually led to, um, uh, you know, a very good year and following that an acquisition. So the company got acquired which then led to me moving over to San Francisco and continuing the journey. So it was, it was something that was really, I mean, a, a crucial and very difficult experience, uh, but that forced me to, to really think about how can I, as an entrepreneur, uh, create opportunity in crisis? And um, so, 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 yeah, that's, that's something that comes to mind. Will you go back for a second? I just, you said it quickly, and I'm not sure I caught all of it, but I think it's important. Um, you said, how do we benefit from the blank, right? So the, with the cap, without getting more capital, how do, say that again. Yeah, no, so effectively, um, we, we had, um, to, to put it, you know, to give it more context and, and, and describe it in more detail, we were running a consumer-facing business and consumer-facing businesses uh, required a lot of upfront investments in media in order to grow. And, and if you don't have access to capital, you know, that growth strategy kind of does not work. Um, so what we then did is we noticed we had strong traction on the enterprise side, which was working with big, um, with groups that were effectively providing experiences. So they had consumers on their end. So instead we went, we switched mode and we instead switched into sending, uh, selling into these large groups, uh, which would then give us access to the consumers indirectly. Uh, so it was like much, you know, more capital efficient, uh, growth strategy. But it uh, was something that the crisis forced us to do because suddenly the capital wasn't available anymore. And we really needed to think about alternative paths um, to accomplish the same things we wanted to accomplish. Thor, if I heard you right, the basis of that is you were saying, okay, what do we do well and how do we do more of that without XYZ resource, right? Like without this capital. So, So here's what I really appreciate about that. I think oftentimes when we need to pivot or adapt, like a lot of us have to do, have had to do in the last couple of years in particular. So I think why this story is so relevant. Um, we look at what's the problem and how do I solve the problem? And what we miss in that sometimes is one way to do it is we miss what what's the appreciative side of it, right? Like what's working that I can leverage in a different way. Okay, so this is going away, but we've got all this stuff that really works. How do we leverage that, but in a new way? 
So I think that's a great story and lesson for all of us out there who are right now, I think a lot of us are dealing, are still dealing with that. Like, how do we shift given the kind of last couple of years and the craziness that's happened and the disruption that's happened to a lot of us, not just in industries, but how we do our jobs. How do we leverage what we do well and turn that into something new? And that's what I think is really powerful about that story. No, I think that I, what, what it forces you to do is really to hone in on your core strengths as an entrepreneur. And every entrepreneur will have different strengths. But for me, one of my core strengths has been that never I never give up. And I also, and as you said in the beginning, I, I, I think deeply and then I iterate on, on you know, I, I continuously iterate and I force myself to apply my grit to finding a solution. So it's, it's really going back to what you said in the very beginning. So you just summed up inquisitive tweaker right there. For tweakers, things are never final. So, right, you just keep adjusting and adjusting until you get it right. I love it. Um, speaking of that, what does it mean to you to be an everyday innovator? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. So let me first answer with the what, and then I'll tell you the why. Um, so for the what, I would say that there are, uh, there are two things that stand out, in, in my opinion, in order to be an everyday innovator. Uh, first of all, I'd say it's really key to be receptive to signals sent out by your actual experience. Uh, so some might call that gut thinking. The second element I would say is integrity, which uh, I would you know, qualify as you know, to actually dare, between brackets, to adhere to your true values. So that's how I would describe the what part of that. But the why is... Why is that important? You know, and in, in, in my opinion, is as, as humans, we're individually cognizant, but collectively not as smart. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, and, and I, there are great quotes on this. I mean, there's this famous Mark Twain quote: "Was whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect." You know, and then there's there's also this uh, Rene Girard quote. Um, this great philosopher on, on, on uh, who's coined the, the concept of mimetic desire, who basically says that man is the creature who does not know what to desire, and he turns to others in order to make up his mind. So, so the interesting thing about this is, um, it's really essential that you are uh, that you really tap into your own experience, so you actually break the barrier of that herd thinking, and I think it's extremely important in the context of today you know the the rate of change we are seeing now in terms of kind of gen z consumers the way they switch uh, their preferences over time we have never seen before and obviously at stravito a lot of the work we do is to provide tooling and software so these companies that we serve can keep track of everything but it's also reality, right? And it's also a way of thinking uh, that needs to permeate uh, a lot of your work. I love that phrase you said, break the barrier of herd thinking. And it, you know, I love that. And isn't it interesting too, that I think if we looked out at the brands, the businesses, the people that we admire, they're never the ones that do it the way everybody else does it, ever, ever. They're always someone who broke free from the herd in some way, whether that's a musician, a neighbor, an artist, a leader, right? They're, they're never the ones who are like, oh no, it's pretty standard what they did. Everybody agrees, right? Usually at the beginning, there's a lot of disagreement. Let me ask you a question on that actually about breaking breaking free from the herd thinking. I, I love it. And I've 
in my experience, um, I, I may be a little too tuned into that of like, I'm not even touching the herd to begin with, right? I get very kind of like that group mentality doesn't work. It's never worked for me. But I also find that when I decide to break free, um, there there's some resistance or some disagreement that happens um, in the beginning, right? Because you're doing something different and everybody's over here doing it this way. How do you, how do you manage through that that struggle that tends to happen in the very beginning where you've got to like, you know, deal with the disagreement and the, the judgment and the, just the other things that come along with it before you get to the good place. Uh, I, that's, that's, um, that's a great question. And I mean, the way we deal with it at Scavito is we, we, I mean, we actually have this, we have a different take on diversity. I mean, um, I think everybody talks about diversity and the importance of, you know, uh, of it. Uh, we talk about embracing diversity, uh, which is one of our core values, through the lens of basically what you accept with diversity is people that do not that do not view the world as you. So you basically set yourself up for a bunch of you know disagreement, tough conversations, and so if you want to have if you want to have quick and easy decision making, you know diversity is not your friend. You know it's really not going to work for you. So um, so I think it's um, you know. It's for people in our organization to get comfortable being uncomfortable because this is the way we want to run it. And, um, and in the case of diversity, what we, the way we manage it internally is through basically telling to people that, you know, um, we want it. We believe that it's going to help us win in the long run. But, but because it is this way, you need to respectfully disagree whenever you do not agree with whatever is being said. But once the decision has been taken, you need to respectfully commit. And that's how we view it. I love it. And, you know, it's interesting. One of our, so um, as you know, from taking the assessment, there's a lot of different combinations that come up and those combinations cause friction with each other. So like you as a tweaker inquisitive, I'm a risk taker experiential. So that means that I look really impulsive and not thoughtful to you because I tend to need to get into action to innovate and you take too long and ask too many questions to me. Right. So like it's funny, it's at the cognitive level of diversity. And what we found is that understanding those frictions, don't take away the friction, because I actually like it. I think constructive conflict is really important for work and for life, but it allows people to recognize like, okay, this isn't personal about you and me. This is about difference in opinion. So how do we take those two and actually make them something stronger versus make them something that holds us back from having a real conversation? So. I can't believe we're almost out of time here, but I'm curious, what's a piece of advice as an inquisitive tweaker that you have for other everyday innovators out there who are looking to uh, lead and make an impact the way you have? Um, well, I think, you know, life, life experiences are amazing. You know, your failures, your successes are, are, are such a well of knowledge, you know. So, so my advice would be be open and receptive to the signals of those experiences and that the signals they send you. Stay true to your values. Beware of your moral code and stick to it. Integrity is your ally. And I, I kind of go back to the, the very famous Steve Jobs commercial from 97, where, where he ends with, you know, the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones that do. <laughs> and and, and I, I think it's really about that. And, you know, and, and for us at Stavito, we see diversity as a weapon. You know, as I said, we, we're approaching 70 employees and we have 25 nationalities. That's our ally. That's our friend. I really like that 
view on it, I have to say, not just because it's about hiring diverse people, which I think is important, but also to really recognize that, hey, that means it'll be uncomfortable and there'll be some friction. And that's actually all good, good things. I think oftentimes, particularly at work, we try to run away from disagreement, right? We kind of try to avoid it. We create consensus. Um, and one of the things I'll tell you, one of the things that I love to do in my company is I, I, as you can imagine, I tend to be very declarative in how I speak. People make fun of me and say, I don't use question marks because everything comes out as a statement. Apparently I'm Israeli. So it's like, that's my kind of heritage. So we tend to be very like, this is how it is, but I'm actually very open. So I actually reward the behaviors that foster that diversity of thinking. So when people disagree in a meeting, and particularly with me, I tend to reward them, like that's their favorite gift card, you know, telling them, acknowledging, appreciating it, not just being open to it, but actually rewarding those behaviors that tap the power of the diversity. Because I find that it's one of those things that's a little bit easier said than done for a lot of teams. Do you think? Absolutely. I think diversity is one of those things that it's uh, it's a great concept and most people agree with it on a conceptual level, but making it work in reality is hard. And, and as you said, you need to reward the people that, that really uh, are able to make benefit of it. Hey, I want to go back. I'm going to go off track for a second, but I want to go back and ask you about something um, that you said that's a little bit kind of off script, but I think it's really important for us to understand is like as the generations shift. So I'm a Gen Xer right? We're the annoyed generation because nobody pays attention to us. And I've got two teenage boys. And, you know, you had made the comment about Gen Z in particular being the least loyal, right? To brands, like they jump, they go to different things. They have a short attention span. Um, I'm curious how you're seeing that translate into business. Um, You know, I think sometimes we apply the old models of, oh, that means I have to like, give them flex hours and, um, you know, make work exciting every day, or, oh, that means that my brand is to make them super loyal and wow them every day. But I don't know that that's always, I feel like that's traditional thinking on a new problem. No, I actually was reading uh, really interesting research on, on this uh, quite recently. And I think, you know, the way I would summarize it and, and um, is, and I'm, I'm of course, you know, forgetting details is that as opposed to Gen Xers like you, your, yourself and myself, I think that they are much more interested in the in the why than than the Gen Xers. So uh, I think we 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 very much think about you know what is it that we're offering, what they're actually why. They're much more purpose driven, and they will actually be much more loyal to you if you can give them a true answer to that purpose element. So again, goes back to the importance of creating an environment where you know culture is strong and purpose is clear, directions are clear, so people can actually focus and work autonomously. Um, we have got, come to a point, if we take a look at the past 100 years, never, you know, this type of work environment would, would not even be conceivable 100 years ago. So it's, um, and, and we need to, you know, admire that and, and be ha- and thankful for that. You know, what you're saying really makes me think, uh, uh, it's got my wheels turning a little bit about as a leader my, in my own company, do I do a good enough job of making sure that we keep our why front and center and really making it meaningful to people versus is just some text, right, on a PowerPoint presentation. So thank you for that. I got to think about that. All right. I can't believe that we're out of time, but let me ask you one last question, which is what's something we'd be surprised to learn about you? Mm. So I have, I have a passion for languages. I, I speak five languages fluently and, and would learn, I would learn many more if my commitments would allow me to. So I think languages are amazing. You know, they're containers of human culture and diversity. And and in, 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 my, in my view, each language is a journey in human thought. So um, 
um, understanding the many facets of humans, you know, uh, human thought is, is a great to open our minds for innovation. So wait, which five languages? Uh, I speak uh, Swedish, uh, French, English, uh, Spanish, and um, uh, Italian to some degree. Oh, fascinating. I love what you said about language. I always think of food that way. Like every time I travel, I want to eat the food of the culture because I think it tells you so much. But you're right about the language. That's that's interesting. Huh. Oh my gosh, Thor. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Kudos to you and what you built with the company and your teams. Um, it's incredible work out there and for the insights. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.